Mirror, Mirror, A Good Omens Fan Fiction, Chapter 2, Two Roads Diverge in a Wood. Crowley hummed somebody to love to himself as he gently pulled the trigger on the green plastic Sansbury plant mister in his hand, spraying a fine mist of droplets onto the upturned leaves in front of him. His plants were lined up before him on the windowsill of his spotless flat, their lush foliage elegantly framing the view of the Georgian terraces on the opposite side of the street. You're doing very well, Hoya. You're looking a little sloppy today, Begonia. You'd better get these buds to bloom soon if you'd like to keep them. Look at this bare spot here. These are such lovely leaves. It'd be a shame if anything happened to them. <laughs> Crowley paused as he caught a flash of white light out of the corner of his eye. He turned, automatically raising the mister into a defensive position. It had served him well in the past. Crowley blinked in surprise. Situated directly in front of his telly, completely blocking the view of anyone interested in watching a bit of national news, sat a large, glowing white circle. It was about two meters in diameter, but incredibly flat, seeming to exist only in two dimensions. Hard white light radiated away from its crisply defined edge, occasionally sparkling blue and purple. The interior of the circle was perfectly static, a flat white nothing that felt wrong in some indescribable way. Crowley knew a portal to hell when he saw one. Well, Crowley amended silently, a portal to somewhere... He'd once wound up in a wardrobe as heaven contacted Aziraphale directly, and the divine portal had looked identical to the diabolical breed Crowley was used to. But, given that this one was currently sitting squarely in Crowley's flat, he thought it more likely to be his own master's doing. All this went through Crowley's head in a fraction of a second, and then... The white nothingness in the center of the portal shivered and parted to admit a figure. The person who just stepped through the portal came to a halt and looked around himself. He stopped when he turned, and his eyes found Crowley, and Crowley felt his heart miss a beat in surprise. He was looking at himself. The man-shaved being that had just stepped through the portal was Crowley's spitting image, right down to his slitted serpentine eyes and perfect replication of Crowley's most recent corporation. The newcomer was wearing a slightly different suit. It was just a subtle difference in the cut of the lapels and the width of the tie. 
and he spotted a neatly trimmed goatee, straight off Tony Stark's chin. But apart from that, Crowley could have been looking in a mirror. Crowley's eyes riveted themselves on his double's beard, feeling that this singular difference was somehow more remarkable than the hundred similarities. The man's face split into a broad grin as he pivoted further to face Crowley more fully. Crowley's gaze was quickly diverted as he saw the sword in the newcomer's far hand. The brightly polished blade was followed by an ornate gold hilt, and Crowley realized in surprise that it was a divine sword, and a rather powerful one at that. Aziraphale had had one just like it when he'd guarded Eden. Uh, hello? Crowley said in surprise, still processing the events of the last two seconds and hastily trying to work out whether or not he was in danger. You must be Crowley, the newcomer said pleasantly, taking a step towards Crowley and extending a hand. He inflected the last syllable of Crowley's name incorrectly, drawing out a long lay sound. Crowley, Crowley corrected, eyeing his doppelganger with no small amount of suspicion, as he uncertainly adjusted his grip on the plant mister. He hadn't put any stock in time travel until this very moment, and was trying to decide if he could trust what was potentially a future version of himself. Of course, the other Crowley allowed easily. He took a few more steps forward, hand still extended. "'And you are?' Crowley asked, standing his ground and making no move forward or backward. "'A friend.' Crowley's doppelganger slowed to a stop a meter or so away, leaving his hand extended. Crowley, still with his mister held defensively in front of him, reached out with his mind and felt the stranger's aura. He was surprised to find that it matched his own, though the longer he focused on it, the more he felt his skin prick with unease. The other Crowley's aura was oddly... cold. Crowley didn't spend a great deal of time studying his own aura. It was somewhat difficult and fairly pointless, but he interacted with the Xerophels a lot, and the angels was always warm. Or maybe this was just what Crowley's aura felt like to others, in the same way his recorded voice sounded alien to his own ears. The prospect was more disconcerting than Crowley thought it should have been, and he adjusted his grip uncomfortably on the plant mister. Maybe that's why Aziraphale always wears jumpers, he thought distractedly. The other Crowley was still holding his hand out, though, and Crowley dragged his attention back to the matter before him, filing away the worrying matter of his own aura for later inspection. His double was still looking at him earnestly, and Crowley shrugged to himself. Well, he thought, I always said I'd get more done if there were two of me. Crowley shifted the mister to his non-dominant hand and reached out to shake his doppelganger's hand. He opened his mouth to ask if there were flying cars in the future, 
but never got the opportunity. The moment the other Crowley's hand closed around his own, the newcomer pulled hard, yanking Crowley off balance and sending him pitching forward. Crowley saw the flash of light off a blade out of the corner of his eye and gave up his automatic attempt to steady himself, instead letting gravity and momentum propel him forward and onto the floor as his hand was wrenched from the grip of the other demon. Crowley collided with the legs of his coffee table and came to an abrupt halt sprawled on his spotless white carpet. He felt the plant mister bounce out of his hand. Ignoring the faint blotches of stars in his vision, Crowley wrenched his head up to see the other Crowley striding towards him. Crowley was halfway to his feet, head ringing slightly, when his eyes fell on the sword in his double's hand. Cold horror ran through him as he watched the blade of the sword begin to lick with flames. The thing about divine blades is that, to light them, the wielder needs more than just a fair amount of supernatural power. He or she also needs a legitimate intent. They need to be utterly willing to use it to take a life. Crowley's life, in this case. Crowley, still in the process of picking himself up off the floor, cast his eyes around for a weapon. His gaze fell on his plant, mister, lying on its side only a foot from his hand, and he grabbed it. He pushed himself the rest of the way to his feet, half unscrewed the mister's cap, and lobbed his improvised weapon at his attacker. The mister hit the other Crowley square in the chest and exploded open, soaking his shirt and tie and splashing off his blazer onto the blade of the sword, which sputtered but didn't go out. Crowley wasted no time scrabbling backwards, trying to put the coffee table between them. His attacker paused in his advance, eyebrows raised in distaste, as he miracled himself dry with an impatient wave of his hand. Crowley, stumbling backwards around his oval-shaped coffee table, spent a fraction of a second deciding on his course of action. He didn't know where this demon had come from, why he was Crowley's spitting image, or why he was trying to kill him, but he did know that his opponent had a flaming sword and Crowley was empty-handed. Divine blades were lit with holy fire and were as permanent an end for a demon as holy water. Holy water. Crowley just barely stopped his eyes from flickering to the cartoon of the Mona Lisa behind which lay a fresh flask of holy water. He'd had Aziraphale bless it for him a couple of months ago as a replacement for the batch he'd used on Ligur. It was dangerous stuff at the best of times, but very useful in certain situations. Situations like this. Except... The cartoon was across the room, and Crowley's pristine white sofa was now between him and it. The other Crowley resumed his advance, and Crowley hastily backtracked, working his way steadily around the sofa and towards the Mona Lisa. Over his double's shoulder, he saw the blank white portal beginning to shrink in size, and he realized that it would soon blink out. Are you sure you don't want to, uh, talk about this? Crowley asked quickly, backing his way towards the cartoon as his double advanced on him. 
His attacker was still holding the flaming sword at the ready, and his movements were distractingly supple, like he was dancing. No, the other Crowley said, and Crowley realized the advantage of his fluid movements when his double struck forward with the sword with all the ferocity and unpredictability of a viper. It was nearly impossible to track where he was putting his weight. Crowley lurched to the side just in time and actually felt the heat of the blade on his ribs as he jumped out of range. His double was quick, pivoting and following him in a single sinuous movement, and Crowley just kept scrambling backwards, eyes never leaving the flaming blade. "'I don't suppose you want to tell me why you're trying to kill me?' Crowley asked, hopefully." continuing to move backwards with all the grace of a giraffe on roller skates. No. Crowley had ended up moving away from the Mona Lisa when avoiding the blade of the flaming sword, and the door to his flat was on his right now, only a meter away. Not much of a, a conversationalist, Crowley asked, and lunged for the door. Before his fingers could brush the knob, however, he drew back and threw himself in the opposite direction. The other Crowley fell for his feint, and the sword skidded along the surface of the door, chipping off the veneer as the flames dancing along the blade jumped higher. Crowley fixed his eyes on the white portal, which was only a little over a meter wide now and shrinking in diameter. He knew he didn't have enough time to fetch the holy water— Opening the safe alone would require precious seconds he simply didn't have. Without the holy water, Crowley had no weapon, and even his words had failed to give him a reprieve, which left flight. Crowley didn't know what this other, antagonistic duplicate of him wanted, but he intended to find out. And if he wasn't willing to spill his secrets in villainous monologue, then... Well, Crowley would find someone who was. Don't even think, snarled the Crowley from behind him. But a moment later, his voice abruptly evaporated as Crowley dived through the portal. Generally speaking, Crowley liked change. He liked innovation and all its constructive uses. Better weapons won wars, smarter tactics, outwitted opponents, and more advanced technology kept the keys to power in his hands. But Crawley was used to change in small doses. He was clever, a lot cleverer than most of the pathetic creatures that called hell home, and that meant that he was often the only one with enough presence of mind to see the potential of a new invention. Take chemical warfare, for example, or the ruthless effectiveness of the Portuguese Inquisition. Most demons were too dim to think of such deliciously vicious things themselves, but the humans were a constant well of new and terrible ideas. That's the only reason he kept them around anymore. Humanity loved to destroy itself, 
and Crawley loved warming his hands at the fire. What Crawley saw before him now, however, wasn't change as he understood it, and neither was it humanity as he understood it. He had taken up position at the window of the room where he'd encountered his other self, and was now surveying the strange land below the window. Humans were streaming by in the street in remarkable numbers, passing each other without a single blow landed. Most of them weren't even exchanging glances. Of course, all the little peculiarities of this world were ultimately irrelevant. Crawley was here for one thing, and one thing only. He moved his attention from the window, intending on turning away, and his gaze fell on the row of plants lined up along the windowsill. Crawley paused, twisting his lips as though he had just tasted something particularly disgusting. Crawley didn't like plants. They reminded him of Eden, and that was not a pleasant memory. The demon pinched one of the plant's leaves between his thumb and forefinger, feeling the softness of the dark green leaf. It was delicate and vulnerable, and it lived or died as Crawley decreed. Crawley smiled and let a touch of his demonic power brush the plant, it began to shrivel immediately, leaves browning and crinkling as they withered under his touch, buds shriveling as though in a drought. A moment later, it was just a brown husk. A few of the leaves broke off and fell to the soil. That's better, Crawley hissed. The other plants trembled slightly in terror. Crawley turned his gaze to the next plant. It was lush and beautiful, with attractive, slightly sparkly purple flowers. And Crawley felt his lip curl in disdain. He did not know how his counterpart fit into this universe, but so far he was disappointed. He had been expecting the portal to open into hell, for one thing, and had been prepared to duel someone every inch as capable as himself. Instead, he found his double on Earth, of all places, living in what appeared to be a rather unimpressive human dwelling and looking after plants. The other Crawley hadn't even had a suitable weapon, and had fled like a coward. It was downright embarrassing. Crawley had a reputation to uphold. Your last master was soft, Crawley hissed to the plant with purple flowers. He didn't know its name. But... He's gone now, and I don't imagine he'll be coming back. Crawley pinched a leaf from the plant and felt a faint rush of exhilaration as it shriveled under his touch. 
It's just you and me. Crowley had spent a lot of time in hell, and this wasn't it. He was in a dark cavern, and from the cold, slightly damp feeling in the air, he deduced he was underground. Behind him, the portal closed soundlessly, and the last of the light faded from the cavern along with it. Crowley straightened up and didn't move for a long moment, trying to determine if he was alone. He felt tentatively for auras, but didn't feel any beside his own. He cleared his throat nervously, and the sound echoed in the space. It was completely dark without even a hint of light anywhere, but he could feel his serpentine eyes adjusting. After a long moment, Crowley began to make out the line of the ceiling sloping over him, and when he turned, he saw that the wall, several meters behind him, was made of brick. The smooth, dark flagstones of the floor abruptly stopped a meter behind him, leaving a wide, dark trench between it and the wall. Crowley turned his attention back to the front and took a few tentative steps forward. His footsteps echoed. He moved carefully through the space until he found a narrow tunnel with what looked reassuringly like a flight of stairs headed upwards. Crowley climbed them, occasionally touching a hand to the cold stone wall beside him. The stairs terminated in another hall, this one opening up into a space with more stairs and hallways. It was still below ground. He could feel it in the air. And that was when Crowley realized where he was. The Byzantine labyrinth of stairs and hallways, that trench behind him in the cavernous room, he wasn't just underground. He was in the underground. The portal had spit him out into one of London's tube stations. Except London's Tube stations were modern, well-lit, and plastered with advertising, not to mention swamped with commuters. And although Crowley must have been down here for ten minutes already, he hadn't heard the rumble of a train or felt a quiver in the floor. And the wall under his hand was rough brick, not modern tile. Slightly unnerved, Crowley continued through the space until he detected a slight lightening of the darkness around him. He rounded a corner and saw a swath of light, dimly illuminating a stairway leading upwards. It was a faint, flat light, but it was good enough for Crowley. He crossed to the staircase and started up it, the air growing slightly warmer and heavier around him as he ascended. He heard a faint roar coming from above him, ebbing and flowing irregularly. A few meters later, Crowley reached a wrought iron gate. He could see sky on the other side of it, flat and gray. It was raining. That was what was causing the noise, and rather fiercely, too. Water dripping down the stairs and pulling around his shoes. Crowley miracled the gate open and walked up the rest of the steps. 
emerging into somewhere that he knew instinctively wasn't hell, but should have been. Crumbling buildings rose around him, stones collapsed into uneven piles and scattered across the muddy ground. Everything seemed sapped of color, the fallen bricks of the city the same dull gray as the rolling sky. The wind gusted a burst of rain in his face, and the drops were cold as they struck his skin. Swallowing, Crowley walked out of the mouth of the tube stairs and into the desolate street. The rain hit him immediately, drenching his shoulders and rolling under his collar. He waved a hand, and the rain parted above him, darting out of his path. Another burst of cold wind hit him next, and Crowley shivered. Behind him, branches rattled together hollowly, like bones knocking against each other in the graveyard. Crowley wrapped his arms around himself nervously and started down the uneven surface of the street. The dilapidated buildings around him were mostly built of brick and wood. They rose like broken teeth out of the landscape. They flitted in and out of his vision as the rain pounded down harder, the wind slamming the drops into the broken brick walls and rattling the wooden structures. Crowley looked at the crumbling buildings around him and shivered again, this time with a memory of buildings, much like these smoldering as smoke hung heavy in the air. London had been in as much ruins then as it was now, wounded by the Luftwaffe's bombs, but still fighting. Except that, during the Blitz, London's citizens hadn't left her. Once the planes had turned back, and sometimes even before, the people of London had crawled out of their shelters, helped put out the fires and cleared the streets. But there was no one in sight in this storm-tossed city, there were no signs of rebuilding in progress, and no effort had been made to clear the streets. Crowley fought off another shiver and wondered hollowly if he was in London after all. It was hard to see anything distinctive through the curtain of rain. An unpleasant feeling crawled up Crowley's spine, and he remembered another city visited by destruction and this one had no survivors. Gamora. He had been lucky enough to have been tipped off by Aziraphale before Sodom was blasted from the face of the earth, but Gamora had been an unanticipated second blow. Crowley had only escaped by sheer luck, and when he had padded through the city the following morning, nothing living had stirred, in the soot-blackened ground. Crowley forced his feet to continue moving, telling himself that neither Sodom nor Gomorrah had had an underground system of any sort, and the bricks beneath his shoes were too modern for that anyway. He stepped over an old-fashioned streetlight that had fallen into the road, glass lantern smashed, and wondered bleakly, 
how many more times he would see such great destruction visited on places where people had lived and loved. The wind howled around him as Crowley splashed down the uneven brick surface of what had evidently once been a road, cold raindrops fighting their way under his miracled shield and flinging themselves against his jacket. After a few minutes of winding his way through the rain-drenched destruction, Crowley reached a crossroads. The buildings were slightly less demolished here, and when he looked at the corner nearest him, he saw a white rectangular sign affixed to the side of the building. Crowley picked his way towards it, rubble skidding underfoot as he moved his way to a clear section of the road, water streaming off the tumbled piles of bricks. Crowley felt his stomach sink as he drew near enough to get a good look at the rectangular sign through the curtains of rain. London had signs like that, and London also had a Euston Road. He was in London. Somehow this destruction around him was the remains of the city he'd spent the last half-millennium in. Crowley turned nervously and surveyed the ruins around him, the storm tossing more rain against the buildings as the wind whipped around him and tore at his jacket. Crowley didn't know what was going on here, but he was clinging to the hope that this, somehow, wasn't his London. He remembered the other version of himself, the one sporting the ridiculous beard, the portal that his double had climbed through had opened up here, which meant that he was from this place. Perhaps this London belonged to some other world, one his double was a part of. This was where he would have lived and loved and, from the looks of things, fought tooth and nail. Maybe his double was a refugee of this hellish world, Crowley thought, hopefully. He had only been in this destroyed London for a few minutes, but already he wanted to leave it, so maybe that version of himself was just fleeing whatever danger lurked here. That seemed like a very Crowley thing to do, but as Crowley looked around at the dilapidated buildings surrounding him, he remembered the sword in his double's hand, and the way the flames had licked along the blade. Maybe that other version of himself wasn't a refugee from this war-torn world after all. Maybe he was a soldier, a warrior from this hellish place, now safe from the war, but in a world where peace was the law of the land. And not particularly well-suited to it either, given that he'd tried to kill Crowley. He'd likely have no clue what to do in the rest of Crowley's thriving London, with the highly structured social order and all the nuanced ways you could break it and annoy people, like wearing the wrong type of shoes to the Ritz, for instance, or... Crowley, still working the scenario through in his head, froze. His double was currently in Crowley's London same London, it so happened, that Aziraphale was in.
Crowley stared blankly across the crossroads as the rain pounded around him, and he felt his breathing speed up a notch as panic began to wrap itself around his chest. He could only think of two things that could explain what was happening right now. Either he was currently in the future, and that other Crowley had been his future self, a chilling thought, or this was some sort of parallel world. But whoever that Crowley had been, he had very clearly had no scruples with killing his alternate self. Crowley didn't know what his double wanted or why he had opened the portal, presuming it had been he who had opened the portal, but he had seen no evidence so far that his double had benevolence on his mind. Of course, Crowley tried reassuring himself quickly. That other Crowley had clearly been some version of himself, and surely that meant he wouldn't wish Aziraphale any harm. Crowley's mind slipped worryingly to the prearrangement days, and he swallowed nervously. But regardless of whether this was the future or a parallel world, this was London, and that meant... Crowley turned his gaze in the direction he knew Soho lay and broke into a sprint. End of chapter 2